Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Be Rich. Scripture says that the way to be rich is by giving, serving, and showing God's love. This series will explore what the Bible says about this and how God wants us to respond. And along the way, we'll look at some foundational principles for being rich. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody that are in the house. Those of you who are online, we're glad you're here. Glad you got here safely if you're here. So uh, we're just excited to be together. We're on the last Sunday in this series called Be Rich, Love, Serve, Give. And the inspiration for this series, you saw some of the, the verse uh, sentences up there on the screen in the buffer video. But in that, the Apostle Paul, in the letter to 1 Timothy, wrote to his young leader, and he said that, I want to command those who were rich in this world to love others by being good, and to be rich by doing good deeds, and to, to be rich by being generous to others. Now, in this series, I haven't spoken very much about how God tells us to handle worldly wealth, but today, we're going to look at some biblical principles that will frame how we should do just that. You know, the reality is this. Jesus was not shy about addressing the personal issue of our relationship with money. When a man who had money came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus said, well, keep the Ten Commandments. Now, let me clarify here. Jesus was not saying that by keeping the Ten Commandments that this man would receive eternal life. But what Jesus was getting at was the commandments, the, the directions of God to humanity were the entryway into a faithful relationship with God who gives eternal life to those who believe in him. Now, when this man replied to Jesus that he had kept all of the commands since he was young, the Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus looked at him with genuine love. And then Jesus said this to him. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, again, I want you to understand here, Jesus was not advocating that his followers should take a vow of poverty. Not at all. That's not what he was doing. But Jesus was telling this man that money had become an idol in his life. And to enter into a relationship with God, he and all of us have to get rid of the idols in our lives and make God the object of our affection, the only object of our affection. Now, I, I love the way Pastor Eugene Peterson translates this verse when it tells about the man's reaction to what Jesus said. It says, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Jesus had struck at the heart of something that had become an idol in this man's life. 
And this is why the Bible and Jesus teach us how to handle worldly wealth, because it can get in the way of our relationship with God. For 20 years, Rich Stearns was the president of the Christian relief ministry, World Vision. And during that time, he wrote a book called The Whole in Our Gospel. And he talks about in that book a struggle that he had with money becoming an idol to him. He says, in 1987, the largest single-day stock market crash since 1929 took place. In one day, my wife Renee and I lost more than a third of our life savings and the money we had put aside for our kids' college education. I was horrified, and I became like a man obsessed, each night working past midnight, analyzing on spreadsheets all that we had lost. I was consumed with anguish over our lost money, and it showed. So one night while I was burning the midnight oil, Renee came and sat beside me, and she said, Honey, this thing is consuming you in an unhealthy way. It's only money. We have our marriage, our health, our friends, our children, and a good income. So, so much to be thankful for. You need to let go of this and trust God. He writes, don't you hate it when somebody crashes your pity party? He says, I, I didn't want to let go of it. I, I told her I felt responsible for our family and that she didn't understand that. And it was my job to worry about things like this. And then... He said, Renee suggested that we pray about it, something that I hadn't even thought about. I hadn't, it even occurred to me. At the end of the prayer, to my bewilderment, Renee turned to me and said, now I think we need to get out the checkbook and write some checks to our church and to the ministries we support. We need to show God that we know that this is his money and not ours. He writes, I was flabbergasted at the audacity of this suggestion, but in my heart, I knew she was right. So that night, we wrote some checks, put them in envelopes addressed to various ministries, and we sealed them. And he goes, and that's when I felt a wave of relief. We had broken the spell that money had cast over me. It freed me from the worries that had consumed me. I actually felt reckless and giddy, and I prayed, God, please catch us because we just took a crazy leap of faith. You know, what Renee said to Rich was what the Scripture tells all of us. So we're going to turn to God's Word this morning and look at some biblical principles for handling money. The first principle that we need to understand is this. Who really owns the things that we possess? So when we understand that, we actually need to acknowledge the real owner. And that is God. God is the owner of everything that we think we own. This is what the Bible tells us. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and, every, and all who live in it. So... Remember, we came into this world without anything, and when we leave this world, we won't take anything with us. God owns everything in the world, and whatever we've been blessed with to have in our possession during our lifetime are just things that we get to manage. The biblical term for manager is steward, so we're considered to be stewards, and a steward is not an owner. A steward is a manager of something that belongs to someone else. 
understanding that we're stewards of whatever we possess in our lives and that God is the owner of everything sets the foundation for our relationship with material things and with money and with everything that God has given us, time, talent, and treasures. Ultimately, everything that you possess belongs to God and not to you. Whatever you've been allowed to possess in this world, from your life to your material possessions, is your responsibility to manage, to take care of. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is recorded teaching about being a faithful and wise manager. And he concludes that teaching saying this, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. The Apostle Paul obviously was a student of Jesus, and he followed Jesus' teaching by writing this, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. He's talking about every follower of Jesus. We must seek to be faithful. So with that in mind, let let me just pause for a moment and, and reflect on the implications of being faithful and wise managers of the many things that God, the owner, has entrusted to us. Here's the first question. What are the implications of faithfully managing the life God has given you? How can you manage the talents and skills that God has given you? How can you manage the material resources and the financial resources that that God has entrusted your care all important questions that every follower of Jesus must wrestle with in the story in the book of Matthew there's a parable called the parable of the talents and in that parable an owner entrusts three people with varying amounts of wealth to manage while he's away one of the managers does a poor job and doesn't manage it well but the other two managers do the job well, and they actually increase the owner's wealth, not, and not only do they receive the owner's praise of well done, good and faithful servant, the owner goes on, to the, goes on to say, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Now, this is essential for us to understand. God owns everything in our lives, and he's entrusted everything in our lives to us to manage. And we need to seek to honor God by managing it well. And when we manage it well, it's very possible that God may entrust more responsibilities, more things to us to steward, to manage. But we remember that God owns it all everything in our lives. The next biblical principle for handling worldly wealth is this. We need to embrace God's example. And what is God's example? Well, the Bible tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave. God gave generously to all of humanity, and God continues to give generously to all of us. I would encourage you this week, take some time to to read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and notice how many times, time and time again, that Jesus tells his followers to be generous, 
Now, again, I'm going to turn to Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. And, you know, most of the uh, translations of the verse that I'm about to read go on to, to tell us to be perfect like God is perfect. But I appreciate what Peterson did in his translation of this account about how God is perfect when he translated it this way. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. John, one of the disciples, explains the generosity of God this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So what this means for us is that when we became a follower of Jesus, one of the natural steps of following him is to become generous to others, even to the point where we will sacrifice for the needs of others. Pastor J.D. Greer is a pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, and he says it this way, and I ask you just to, to bear with the directness that, of what he says so that you can hear his reasoning for it. He says, if you are not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel. So just bear with this. He goes on to explain his reasoning. Basically, the idea is this. It's impossible to really experience Jesus and not be radically generous in response. First, he says, a major component of what it means to be truly converted is that you realize that God's kingdom is the most beautiful and lasting reality in the universe. You begin to find your significance in the kingdom of God and not in what you possess. You don't have to spend lots of money to add beauty and significance to your life when you realize that. Second, he says, you recognize that Jesus, not money, is your security for the future. So you don't have to save extravagant amounts of money to feel secure. You find that security in him. And third, he goes on to say, to be truly saved, saved means you have some sense of how gracious God has been to you. The Bible repeatedly says that the sign that you have tasted God's grace is that you become gracious. Thus, if you've tasted of the gospel, you will be gracious instinctively. Being gracious is being generous with all that God has blessed us with. And an important biblical principle of handling worldly wealth is to use what God has blessed us with like God has been generous to us. So we need to follow his example. The next biblical principle of handling worldly wealth is to avoid financial bondage. Being in debt is financial bondage. Regarding debt, the Bible says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, one of the reasons that we encourage people to take the course called Financial Peace University is not just because it's biblically based and not 
because of not only does it teach you how to manage money, but it also teaches people practical ways to avoid debt and to get out of debt. Now, we're not currently running a Financial Peace University program at Valleybrook right now, but if you go on to the, the internet and you Google Financial Peace University, you'll find their website and you'll be able to sign up for one that meets your schedule and you can sign up for a virtual one. Now, let me go back to the verse. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Focus on that last phrase. The borrower is slave to the lender. So credit cards, auto loans, student loans, business loans, mortgages, they all tie us to someone else, a master, so to speak, that we have to pay up to with interest. Now, the reality is this. We live in a culture where it's become normal to live with debt. The culture that we live in says happiness can be purchased. The culture says that you deserve these things even if it puts you into debt. But that's not what God's word says. Debt is financial bondage. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, but I've seen the stress that debt causes personally and in the lives of others. So we need to do whatever it takes to avoid debt and to get out of debt. In fact, the Bible does say this. It says, let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. Except, it goes on and says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Has fulfilled what God calls us to do. Again, it's the generosity of God. So this biblical principle of handling worldly wealth is so important for us, especially when we want to use what God has blessed us with for his purposes. Being in debt will hold us back from those opportunities that God places in front of us. So whatever you can do to get out of debt and stay out of debt, you need to do that. The next biblical principle of handling worldly wealth is to make a plan. Now, this, this may sound basic, but one of the most impactful lessons I learned when I took Financial Peace University years ago was that I actually need to decide how I'm going to manage my money. In other words, we're not going to live paycheck to paycheck. We're going to make a plan of what we're going to do with, God, with what God has blessed us with. Good managers manage what they are entrusted with, so that means we need to plan how we will manage what we have had placed into our care. Now, the reality is to do that, you may have to deal with some of your own personal issues surrounding money, issues like contentment. Ask yourself how much stuff is enough. You may also have to deal with the issue of trust. Ask yourself, do you trust God to be your provider and to take care of you? In the book of Hebrews, we read this verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now, I don't want to be simplistic. I am aware that telling people to be content, tell people to trust God, giving people a, a Bible verse uh, is not something that just changes everything. 
The reality is you may need to spend some time studying God's word in scripture. You may even need to, to talk to someone, a financial manager, or if it's a heart issue, you may need to, to do some work with a, a counselor. So I would encourage you to do that. And as I say many times, if you are looking for a list of referrals for counselors, send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc. I'd be happy to send our list of referrals to you. So let's return to this idea of having a financial plan. Biblical financial teachers will point out that Scripture is clear about planning how to manage worldly wealth. Having a plan helps you recognize that you need to spend less than you make. It helps you decide how much you need to live on, how much you need to save for emergencies and for long-term goals. It helps you to plan for paying taxes and getting rid of debt and being generous to God and his kingdom and to others. Jesus told his disciples that they needed to understand what it means to be his follower so that they know the cost. And he followed up that teaching with this question. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Jesus is talking about making a plan as his follower. And and being a Christ follower means that all of our lives should be lived under the authority and the guidance of God. And so that includes this very sort of personal, private area of our lives, our finances. So scripture speaks to the five areas that a financial plan needs to address. What we're going to live on, how much are we going to save, how we're going to plan for taxes, what are we going to do with debt, and how much are we going to give? Now, we've already addressed debt, so uh, I think that one's covered. But let's, let's start with how much do we live on? Well, Jesus made it clear. We need to make a plan. We need to count the cost to make sure that we have enough. Uh, another word for a financial plan is, is the B word, budget. Um, we don't necessarily like that. But, at, but I will tell you this. At the end of this message, I'm going to recommend some resources that you'll also be able to find on our resource page on our website. But... In the book of Proverbs, we get this advice. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. Storing up reserves is is storing up for the future. We are wise when we save up, when we make a plan. So what about taxes? This is the time of year everybody starts thinking about them. Well, Jesus did address taxes. When his enemies wanted to catch him in a trap, they asked him if it was right to pay taxes to the government, which was represented by the emperor Caesar. And this is the conversation that took place. Jesus said, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus affirmed that unpopular decision that we have to pay taxes. We need to make a plan for it, either saving for it or or having our employer withhold it for us. And let's talk about that last area, giving. All through this series, we've emphasized the Bible's command to us to be rich by loving others, by serving others, and by giving generously. Prophet Isaiah reminds us that we should make a plan. This is what he said. Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. 
This obviously includes the supporting the ministry of the church. And the Apostle Paul said this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So I believe generosity is one of those attributes of being a follower of Jesus. And I believe it's the responsibility of Christ's followers to support the ministry of the church, as Paul writes. And as to how much to give, the scriptures tell us that we have to decide in our hearts how much to give and that we're not supposed to give reluctantly and we're not supposed to give in response to pressure, but to give cheerfully, to give happily. And, And while I totally agree with this, I also believe in the spiritual discipline of giving to God the tithe. Now, the biblical practice of tithing is, is recognized that, recognizing that God has given us all that we have, and in response, the discipline says that we give him 10% back. So why does God present us with this concept of tithing in the Bible? I believe it's to deepen our relationship with God. God doesn't need our tithe. That's important for us to recognize. He doesn't need it. But God presents us with the opportunity of tithing so that we can learn to trust God in a way that is very near and dear to our hearts. Jesus knew that. And that's why he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And then he followed that up by saying, you cannot serve both God and money. Because God knows the attractional pull of money, he gives us this challenge through the prophet Malachi. This is what God instructed Malachi to say. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be, not be in room enough to store it. Giving God the tithe is an opportunity to go deeper in our relationship with God and to to do this in a place that is very personal and close to our hearts. So I encourage you to, to test God and seek to trust him in this area. So to wrap this up, we need to remind ourselves that God speaks to us from the Bible very clearly about the place of worldly wealth in our lives And the reality is this, worldly wealth is nothing more than a tool that God entrusts to us in our lifetime. And he entrusts that to us in varying amounts. We are responsible for how we manage it. So I encourage you to take these principles to heart and seek to honor God with what he's entrusted to your care. So I told you I would share some resources, so I want to encourage you to to check these out on our resource page on our website. First, there's going to be a a free workshop on biblical financial management next Saturday at a conference called Thrive, and the website is linked uh, on our our website, so I want to encourage you to go out and find out about that. Uh, There's some other things with regards to financial wisdom, how to have a budget, how to deal with debt, and and even the Financial Peace University website that I was telling you about. I share all that with you because God wants you to enjoy the fact that he's blessed you with things to manage. But sometimes we need help in that area that is a place that's very close to the core of who we are, to learn to manage it in a way that is God-honoring. 
So as I bring this message to a close, one of the things that I want to do is pray for you. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up for our, our final song. I, I recognize this, that um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this may be all new to you, to know that God's word speaks to you in such a, a personal and direct way about a, a very important part of your life. And if you're saying, well, you know, I think I'd like to become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to do that today before I pray for all of us to be good stewards of what God's given us. And I would just say this, if, if you've never decided to believe in Jesus and you want to, you just need to know this, God loves us so much, but the fact that we are all sinners, the Bible says, gets in the way of us having a relationship with God. But he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins, a price that none of us could pay. And if we believe in Jesus and receive him into our lives, he forgives our sins. And he promises to be with us in this lifetime and, and give us the promise of eternal life. So if you would like to have that, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer. And if you do pray that prayer, please let me know because I would love to give you some material to encourage you in that. So if everybody would pray, I'll start off with a prayer for those who want to believe in Jesus, and I'm going to pray for all of us to be good stewards. Father, I know there may be somebody today who's decided they want to follow you to become a, a Christian, a Christ follower. So if that's you, I invite you to pray these words right where you are, silently, back to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I know that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I accept his forgiveness for my sins. And today I want to start following him. So encourage me and fill me with your spirit. And we'll say amen to that part of our prayer. But now I'm going to pray for everyone. Lord, you love us. You give so generously to us. And as your sons and daughters, you call us to follow your example and to give generously, to, to be good stewards, good managers of what you've entrusted to our care in our lifetime. So Lord, I pray for every person in this room today and every person online that you would help us take to heart what you want for us and that we will lean into that so we can grow closer to you, help build your kingdom and bring you honor and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.